Hi, I'm Cassandra Siebels, the 2022-2023 president of the Junior League of Atlanta, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of JLA Inside Out, stories from inside and outside of the Junior League of Atlanta. Hey everyone, so excited to be joined today by Karen Rose from the Grove Park Foundation. Um, so Karen, thanks so much for joining us. Um, maybe can you tell us a little bit about what the Grove Park Foundation is? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, so the Grove Park Foundation is really a community revitalization organization. So we are working in one neighborhood. We believe that change happens at the neighborhood level. We work in one neighborhood across many pillars in many different areas to really do holistic interventions, um, work with the community, work with partners to create the conditions for everyone in this neighborhood to thrive. So the Grove Park Foundation works in four main areas. We are invested in creating a quality education pipeline from infancy to college and career for the students in this neighborhood. We're committed to creating affordable housing in a mixed income neighborhood so that everyone has a wonderful place and an affordable place to live together in community. We're committed to economic mobility and development for the current residents of this neighborhood. Um, that means we're doing economic development projects, places where businesses can grow and launch, but we're also committed to the people who live here to um, walk alongside them, bring the resources um, alongside to have people increase their household income, improve their job training, launch their small business, um, qualify for affordable rental or affordable home ownership options. Um, and then finally, um, we're very just committed to the wellness and thriving of all the members of the community. And I'm guessing based upon your name that the Grove Park Foundation is Grove Park Atlanta? Absolutely. So Grove Park is a neighborhood in the city of Atlanta. We're on the west side of the city. Um, and we have a history that goes back to being developed as a kind of suburban neighborhood. Um, our history, we say, goes from the Civil War to Civil Rights to modern day Atlanta. And um, just all that that brings. And for someone who might not be as familiar with the Atlanta geography, where, like the west side of Atlanta, kind of, mm -hmm. what, what's it near? <laughs> what's, well, we are actually very close to downtown and midtown. Um, to come through our neighborhood, you might leave from Georgia Tech, which is right in midtown Atlanta, and you would just drive west a couple of miles, and the road you're on would be going through um, our neighborhood, Grove Park. Um, for people who knew Atlanta back in the day, it was lovingly known as Bankhead. Um, and th there's a lot of hip hop history that's associated with that. Um, but the official neighborhood name is Grove Park. We're also located near a new, very large city of Atlanta park called the Westside Reservoir Park. Um, and it, it just opened a couple of years ago. We are um, very close to the Atlanta Beltline's West Side development. So we really are right in the heart of things in Atlanta. Amazing. And you'd mentioned that some of the history of Grove Park goes, you know, back to the Civil War. 
what is some of the historical significance of, of the Grove Park area? Right. So this used to be known as Fortified Hills because it was um, a place where the city of Atlanta built Civil War fortifications outside of town. Um, we didn't have any big battles raging through here, but we were left with those fortifications. And so when you got to the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, there was an entrepreneur named Edwin Wiley Grove um, who decided to built himself a subdivision right outside the city of Atlanta um, here in the fortified hills. Uh, Mr. Grove had made all his money making um, Grove's tasteless tonic, which was to treat malaria. And he had, he was kind of wealthy, like the Coca-Cola's of the time. Um, and he got into real estate development. Some, another project a lot of your listeners might be familiar with is the Grove Park Inn in Asheville, North Carolina. He also developed and built that. And um, our neighborhood, the way he built it, really reflected that same style. The streets were built around lovely little median parks with single family, mostly single story, uh, working family homes. Um, he started building them in the 1920s. There was a little bit of a break during the Depression, and then a lot was developed in the 40s after Mr. Grove had passed away. Um, so the the feel of the neighborhood was always a working family neighborhood. It was on the streetcar. It was close to some of the industry located just outside the old city limits of Atlanta. Um, it also came with its own history, um, unfortunately, of being part of where real estate was redlined. So it was built with restrictions for white families only. And that lasted really into the late 50s, early 60s, as redlining was broken down in the city of Atlanta with the civil rights movement. And as black families were finally able to purchase a home. So then the neighborhood went through a, a transition pretty quickly during the 60s as the public schools were integrated as well. Families were buying their homes. They were riding the streetcar to their jobs, all of that. Um, and so the neighborhood stayed a working family neighborhood, but it became primarily a black family neighborhood. Um, and as time went on and as is often true with how, I guess, systemic neglect and um, disinvestment happens in a lot of cities, um, this neighborhood was kind of cut out of a lot of the same investments that happened in other parts of Atlanta. And so as you got into the 80s and 90s, the, um, the pressure of the drug trade, the fact that a lot of families' kids grew up and moved somewhere else, you know, to start their family and own their home. So you had an aging population. A lot of houses started changing hands from home ownership to rental properties. Um, and then predatory investors started coming in waves. Um, this neighborhood really experienced a decline. Another thing that happened were there were a lot of um, public housing developments around the neighborhood. And the city of Atlanta really moved from public housing developments to they took all of them down and moved into more dispersed Section 8 housing. And so as a result, the schools and the businesses and the churches and all of that really experienced a radical depopulation, which hurt the economy even more. So by the early 2000s, this neighborhood was at a point where we had about a 36% vacancy 
great for our homes, a lot of empty homes. We um, had a median household income of about $25,000 per household. Our schools, because they lacked resources because they didn't have enough students, um, were beginning to show declining um, educational outcomes for the youth. And then the community began to lose their grocery stores and their bank and their pharmacy. And um, you name it, if it's a service that you expect to have in a close radius to your home, this community lost it over the decades of the late 90s and the 2000s into the 2010s. So this is kind of where the Grove Park Foundation kind of came to play, correct? When did you guys start and kind of what were some of the things that you've accomplished since your founding? Right. So the Grove Park Foundation um, officially formed in 2017, but we came out of an earlier separate nonprofit that was more focused around trails and parks and green space. Um, And as that nonprofit engaged with the community, what they kept hearing was, you can build all the trails and parks you want, but we need some jobs and some education and some affordable housing and decent housing. And so really from that came a group of people who said, you know, we need to focus on this neighborhood and we need to try to address these central concerns. And at the same time, there's a national um, affiliation of neighborhoods known as purpose-built communities. They actually started here in Atlanta with the East Lake Foundation in the East Lake neighborhood um, a way back. And they're the ones that really led with the model of holistic approach of education, affordable housing in a mixed income neighborhood and wellness, including economic wellness and mobility. And so we actually got to um, become a purpose-built community in 2017 and launched as the Grove Park Foundation. So for someone who's not as familiar, what's the difference between a purpose-built community versus gentrification? (laughs) That is the ongoing question. And Honestly, there are a lot of us who get some things right, and then we get some things wrong, and we learn from each other. Um, I would say that the key difference is that this is a um, an effort that really focuses on working with the community. Uh, and by a community, we mean the community that's here. <laughs> and I will just speak personally. I actually became a resident of Grove Park in 2007. So it is my community in a lot of ways. And when the foundation was forming, I was a community member on the outside going, hmm, what are y'all up to first? Um, And doing some examining and then uh, working and learning how they partnered. But really it is, um, you know, don't, the the motto of don't do something for me without me, we are community engaged first. And we are, uh, we do our work through partnerships. We're not just rolling in going, hey, we're here to do all this stuff. We're, we're here to build partnerships from the assets that already exist in the community to um, the resources that might be needed that we can leverage our um, relationships and access to meet the express needs of the community. That said, you know, Atlanta, along with every city in the United States, is experiencing massive development pressures within the city core. Um, there is the urgency of preventing displacement across the board. And it is no different here from the opening of the West Side Park to a lot of corporate announcements for development out in this part of town 
to just the fact that people um, are moving kind of back in town. It's kind of the new hot place to be. And we look like a nice cheap place to grab a house. Those pressures exist. And our role is to really be that, um, that supporting entity that is standing up with and alongside the current community to ensure that um, that voice is heard, that voice is centered, um, the community's priorities are first and foremost. So just as a quick example, let's say around affordable housing. Um, this neighborhood was 100% affordable housing 15 years ago because it had been so disinvested. No one was paying attention over here. Um, now everyone wants to come and speculate and invest and flip a house and make some money and take advantage of it. Um, 100% affordable housing neighborhood isn't healthy. You lose all your economy. But 100% high dollar exclusive homes isn't healthy either because you displace the the babysitters and the workers and you know the neighbors who've been here and provide the culture of your neighborhood and so we see our role as stepping in to bring affordable rental and home ownership units as a significant percentage of the housing we know that other people the gentrification is going to come just because of where we're located we're near the belt line we're near the park we're near midtown it's going to come. Can we stem the tide and create a place where we can, um, one of our strategic priorities, mitigate the displacement and disruption of the residents of this community? So what are some of the things that the foundation's working towards right now? And, you know, kind of what are some tactical examples of what you guys are, are kind of trying to do? Absolutely. In the area of education, one of our first projects, we matched $18.5 million from the Atlanta Public Schools and $10 million investment from the YMCA. We raised another $19 million and worked with the community to build a new neighborhood attendance zone school to bring in a, a school-based health clinic and then to open a YMCA Early Childhood Development Center. We uh, were able to raise that money, open that campus, and now that it's open really next in the area of education, we are really focusing on the out-of-school time for kids, right? Do they have a productive and enriching place to be after school during the summers? And so, again, we're living in that partnership model. We're bringing the right people, the right resources. We're working with the education partners on the ground to make sure that our um, young people and students are getting what they need holistically in the community. Um, secondly, another one of our first projects was to partner to build 110 units of multifamily, new multifamily housing. Um, about 80% of those units are affordable to families who make 50 to 60% of Atlanta's area median income. Um, our next project that is under ready to launch pre-development is um, 120 new units. Half of them will be affordable small rental units. And half of them are going to be home ownership units because really you've got to restore generational wealth, right? Mm -hmm. We want the current. And then the other thing we're doing is we're preserving affordability by working with our legacy homeowners, those people who've been here 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and they need to keep their home up to repair and avoid code violations and find ways to get a break on their property taxes as taxes go up. And, um, deal with property heirs issues so they can pass their generational wealth on within their family. And we're very committed to doing that. The other thing we're doing, we have a couple of sort of Main Street economic development projects 
And um, one of those is an old historic theater that was that opened here in the 40s. And we bought it when we were acquiring land for our affordable housing. And it turns out we're like, hey, we've got a theater. So actually, we're very close to being underway. We're finishing up the fundraising to convert that to a cultural and performing arts center that will be centered on, yeah, community art, youth, um, youth activities, health and wellness activities, and event and meeting space, because there's really nowhere for people to gather much in our neighborhood. The second project we have, and it's all very centered, the housing, the new school campus, and these projects are all within sight of each other on one big block. And so we have another little uh, retail corner that's very near the theater that we're going to activate lightly with like some food trucks and a market and some affordable retail space for our entrepreneurs and business people within the community who need a low overhead. And then always underlying all of it is this program we call Neighborhood Opportunities for Wealth, the NOW program. And it's based on Dr. King's uh, speech about the urgency of NOW. And that really is our um, concerted effort. We want to touch 1,500 residents minimum from this neighborhood and the adjoining neighborhoods on our corridor to ensure that we're increasing household incomes, right? You can't, can't live in, nobody can live in Atlanta on a $28,000 household income for long. And so we really need to um, empower our neighbors to take advantage of every opportunity that comes their way and do it in a way that's sustainable. So if it is, um, you know, improving your credit and strengthening your credit, if we provide financial success, success coaches to everyone who participates for just unlimited, no cost coaching. We help small businesses take all the steps to launch and people with just a great entrepreneurial idea know how to advance that. We also have job training partners so that people can improve their um, income through better job opportunities. And, and really, that's the people part alongside our student work that underlies these projects around housing and economic development um, is how can we really ensure that um, the things that we do are primarily for the people already here and their, path, their pathway to lead, um, to continue to set the culture to um, participate fully um, in in really a thriving neighborhood that looks like the people who live here want it to look. Remember it looking in days gone by and want it to be again. So you'd mentioned something about some of the partnerships that you guys work with, with the YMCA. You know, can you talk about, you know, who you're partnering with and how that's impacting and influencing the community? Oh, so many partners, so many partners. I'll start with our on-the-ground community partners. We work very closely with the Neighborhood Association here and the MPU, um, with other nonprofit partners who are working in in uh, education, enrichment, housing, um, job training, youth development, sports, all those things. We really just try to stay in that coalition so that our community begins to speak with more and more of one voice. And we do our work together. Um, obviously, in the education side, we've been, you know, partnering with Woodson, Kip Woodson Park Academy, which is our neighborhood school. The Whiteford uh, Clinic that has opened as our school-based health center, the Y. We also partner with John Lewis Invictus Academy from APS. They're here in our neighborhood, and they are the middle school for the Douglas Cluster. And so we really try to work hard with them. 
We partner with a lot of churches like Allen Temple and Paradise Missionary Baptist. From the outside, as we are working through our housing development, we are very closely tied in with um, Georgia Tech School of Architecture and some of their energy modeling programs. We work with Lifecycle Building Center to really create uh, sustainable and affordable renovations and new construction as we are bringing on units. Um, in the space of our economic mobility work, we work with several HUD-approved partners like CS&E. Um, we work with several um, jobs partners like uh, Westside Works, and we work with we work with several jobs partners in the community. Um, it's almost too many to list, and we yeah, also so just a few partners. Then yeah, it's been too much. Yeah, and then and then you know we're partnering with Investalina, and we're partnering with. Um, the Russell Center for Innovation to help with our job building work. So we're we're just we're always partnering. And I and we partner with um, the Junior League of Atlanta to do a uh, summer reading program. And we were really able to launch that um, as the kids were sent home from the pandemic. We had a day where people were coming out to pick up food and do all kinds of things, and um, they were able to provide us with summer reading packets for especially younger reading kids so kids could come pick out their books talk about them have something to take home with them that gave them books in the house amazing well so what are some of the long-term goals for the Grove Park Foundation kind of what you guys are strategically hoping to achieve in the long term absolutely so we will feel successful if we look back in 15 years and the kids who graduated from the school and the out-of-school time programs are working in the corporations that are here in the community and building, you know, building things here. Um, we will feel successful when we have a, a reading and math achievement score that meets and exceeds um, what is average for the city and better. Um, we're going to feel successful when we have a thousand units of affordable rental and home ownership units that are affordable for the long term, they're not going to get flipped and get really expensive, but they're going to be affordable for the long term. We're going to feel successful when our main street nodes are um, a good percentage hosting businesses that come from within this community. When some of the commercial properties that do get developed are creating wealth for families here who own that commercial property and develop it. Um, those are the things. And really, honestly, in the end, it is looking to see, is this a thriving community that reflects thriving for everyone who's been living here, who grew up coming to see their grandma here? whose family has had a house here or whose parents graduated from a school here, do they come here and feel like this is our community still? And um, we think that what happens in Grove Park can really be a model for the whole city of Atlanta and for other cities that it doesn't, we don't have to give up and say it's too late just because there are pressures on neighborhoods. Um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing the hard work. And we believe that we're creating a model that can be a real example. 
Well, so along those lines, what would you say to someone who's listening, who, whether they're in Atlanta or somewhere else, who's saying, okay, well, how do I support that? How do I support sustainable economic development in a historical neighborhood that isn't just gentrification of I'm going to buy and flip a house. So how does the, how does the average listener support your efforts? Well, if you're in Atlanta, come and visit us and and let us help you get to know a piece of Atlanta you might not have met yet. But if you're in another city in Atlanta, um, you can look up and see if there's some other purpose built network, purpose built communities, network members in your area. They're going to be working on a similar model but attuned to your community needs. But more than that, I would just say when you are looking at neighborhoods that are under this sort of development pressure that have been most likely systematically excluded from the normal rate of growth and now are receiving all this development pressure that does threaten displacement and disruption for the neighbors there, the first thing you do is you find out who's already on the ground doing the work. Who are the people who are who are known and trusted um, on the ground leaders in the community? They may not even have an official title. Is it a, is it a church pastor? Is it someone running an after school program? And you listen and you follow their lead and you discover how they um, express their needs. Um, when I moved here, the best advice I got from a friend was to listen to my neighbors and don't try to be in charge of anything for years and years. <laughs> it was, I learned so much and, um, and it was stuff I wouldn't have seen if I sort of came in going, I'm here to help. Um, instead of I'm here to be your neighbor. And I have been so well loved and so well neighbored by people um, on my street that I don't ever want to live anywhere else, quite honestly. Um, so I think, I think that where, where we all tend to go wrong, you know, is that we, we come into any community and we don't prioritize the leadership that's already on the ground. We don't center the leadership that's already on the ground. We don't uplift the voice of the leadership that is already on the ground first. And until you do that, you're just going to be making assumptions about what the needs are. You may have all the statistics in the world, but you really have to engage with what the perceived and verbalized needs are of the community that's there. And, you know, we all do it better and worse at different times. Of course, we can all go on with good intent, but it's important to listen to everyone who's been there before us. Absolutely. 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 So many people are used to having outsiders come in and say, I want to help. Will you do this survey? Or I want to do this. And then they never really deliver anything back to the neighborhood that they've sort of taken that information from. And, and as somebody who gets asked to do surveys a lot, just because of my address, it's exhausting. <laughs> and you just think, well, I don't even have to pay attention to what you're doing. It might be good, but I'll probably never see it again. Um, so don't be that person. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Is there one thing that you would like our listeners to leave our conversation with? If they just remember this one thing, what would that be? Great question. I would say that there are heroes and leaders all around you, wherever 
you're plugging in. And here in Grove Park, I am amazed every day at the heroes and the leaders that I'm still meeting after 15, 16 years in the community. Um, and, you know, be curious. Just be curious and be teachable and then be willing to build some relationships and dive in wherever you are. Well, Karen, thank you so much for this conversation today. If someone's interested in learning more about the Grove Park Foundation or just about the Grove Park neighborhood, is there maybe a website that they could go to or some social media they should follow? Absolutely. So you can find our website at groveparkfoundation.org. And we are also at Grove Park Foundation on Facebook and Instagram. And then on Twitter, we're Grove Park FDN. So we're, we're also on LinkedIn, Grove Park Foundation Inc. So we, we got a very active social uh, media platforms and we're going to have a much better website super soon. <laughs> and I imagine if someone is interested in visiting Grove Park, there's probably a few things on your website that they should go check out. Absolutely. Take a look, see what, what um, interests you there. Hit us at contact at groveparkfoundation.org and we'd be happy to just schedule a follow-up, a call, a visit whatever. Well, awesome. Karen, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I loved learning more about the Grove Park Foundation and one of the historic neighborhoods in Atlanta. Absolutely. Thank you. We appreciate being here. Thank you for listening to this episode of JLA Inside Out. If you have feedback, thoughts, or questions, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at insideout at jlatlanta.org.